listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Tonight we're kicking off a brand new series, and uh, the, the name of the series is called uh, "This Is the Way." And you know, uh, it probably brings up a very specific imagery in some of your minds. Uh, are there any Star Wars fans in the room? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, now you guys grew up on a different generation of Star Wars than me. Um, I've always viewed Star Wars as it's kind of like college. The first three are great. And then, you know, after the next six years or so, it just really goes downhill. And so uh, I kind of viewed that way with uh, Star Wars movies. The original trilogy is one of some of my favorite movies. And then after that, there's just some other ones. Uh, but regardless of whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, uh, this series kind of has an ode to uh, a TV show that came out. It's kind of a spinoff of all the, the Star Wars movies uh, called The Mandalorian. You guys watch that? Any of you watch that on Disney Plus? Uh, yeah, that's, that's great. There's some fans in the room. That's awesome. Uh, whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, it doesn't really matter. It's, this is just kind of my intro. So uh, we're going to get past that in a minute. So, uh, but whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, I know that you guys are familiar with and you know this guy, if nobody else. Uh, Grogu, right? You guys know him, uh, affectionately known on the interwebs as uh, Baby Yoda. Uh, he's adorable, he's cute, he's been memed to death. And uh, you know, he's, he's probably one of the more popular pieces of the TV show, The Mandalorian. But if, if you were to watch that show or if you're interested in watching it, uh, it really kind of centers around these soldiers, bounty hunters uh, that, that are you know, from this planet in Star Wars. You know, it's all outer space stuff. But anyways, these bounty hunters, these, these Mandalorians, they have this this kind of code, right? They have this like ethic, this, this, this thing that when they don't know what to do or there's, they're kind of at a crossroads of a decision and they need to make a decision. They have these, this code, this value system, uh, this, this thing of belief that they kind of stick to and it kind of helps them make a really important decision. And when they do that, regardless of whether the decision is popular or regardless of whether it's uh, you know, counterproductive or countercultural or counterintuitive or it goes against what everybody else in the, in the, uh, the room may think, they kind of look at each other and they're like, this is the way, right? So uh, our series that we're kicking off today is titled much the same. It's called, This Is The Way. And we're talking about not just Star Wars, uh, this, like I said, my intro, uh, but I believe this plays into a very specific piece of what it means to be a Christian and to be a follower of Jesus. Now, if you are new to the faith, if you're new to church, uh, hey, that's okay. That welcome. Maybe uh, you really connect with the Star Wars bit and the rest of it is gonna be tough for you. Uh, some of you don't follow Star Wars and you're like, yeah, yeah, get past that to all the stuff that I came here for. And, and that's fine too. Uh, but I think that tonight we're gonna touch on and really throughout the series over the next couple of weeks, if, if you guys will join us, we're gonna kind of touch on something that I think is very profound and very important when it comes to what it means and what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. You see, the, the kind of the tension that we're going to wrestle with in this series is this idea right here, is that you can be a Christian and not follow in the way of Jesus. You can be a Christian and not follow in the way of Jesus, right? Like if you've grown up in church, uh, I've always said it's really easy to become a Christian. Right? You have the right system of beliefs. You believe the right things. You believe Jesus is who he said he is uh, and that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave. Like that's kind of it. That's the, if you believe that, Welcome, right? Like that's, the, that, that's what it means to be a Christian. But what it means to be a follower of Jesus is sort of a whole other thing entirely. And it's not quite as simple. It's not quite as easy. So what we wanna do in this series is talk about what it looks like to actually become a follower of Jesus. You see, in, in the early days of Christianity, the early days of the church, uh, the term Christian 
was actually kind of a derogatory term, right? If you look up what Christian means, it, it literally means little Christ. And so it sounds like, oh my gosh, they're, it's like, you're like baby Yodas, right? Like you're like these little baby Jesuses running around. But it has actually started as, and if, if you read the word Christian in the New Testament, it's actually a derogatory term uh, that they use as almost like a put down of like a, uh, think of it as like a, you're, you're a fake Jesus, right? Like that's kind of what they're saying is like the, uh, this person's delusional. They think that they're a follower of this Jesus guy that who was a, you know, a lunatic or a kook or, a, you know, whatever. And they almost use it as a, a put down. It wasn't until years, years later where Christians actually began to carry that as a badge of honor. But you see in the early church, in the early days of the church, they preferred this as their uh, kind of what they called themselves. They called themselves followers of the way, this is no lie. Like I've quit my Star Wars intro. Like this is legit. Like in the Bible, six times in the New Testament, they're like talk about people who are followers of Jesus after his death and resurrection. They call themselves the followers of the way. And specifically what they meant is the, the way that Jesus taught them to live life. Not just what he taught them to believe, not just what he taught them to think, or, or, but literally taught them how to live their lives differently. The apostle Paul who wrote like, half of the New Testament, uh, was on trial before a bunch of Jewish leaders. And, uh, you know, he stands before them and he's like, first of all, I'm not guilty of what you're accusing me of. But he says this in Acts chapter 24, he says, however, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. He's like, hey, look, I'm like one of you guys. I, I follow the God that we believe in, the God of the, what we call the Old Testament, what they would have just called the, their, their Hebrew scriptures. He said, I, I believe in that God, but I believe there's a new way to do it the way that Jesus showed us because of who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he did for you and for me. And so for Paul, he's like, hey, listen, I know all the, guy, all the things you guys know, but there's a new way to do this. And so in this series, this is the way, what we wanna do is kind of unpack what the way is. We'll unpack what Jesus came to do to tell how he told us to live, how he told us to interact with people and essentially how he told us to live our lives as followers of him. Because I believe this to be true is that Followers, following Jesus is not just a set of beliefs and ideals, it's a whole way of life. To be a follower of Jesus, it's not just believing the right things or, or knowing the right amount of scripture, or having the right facts memorized or you know, showing up on Wednesday nights to TLR or raising your hands in worship or not raising your hands in worship or bringing your Bible or leaving it in your car because you don't wanna look weird or getting a t-shirt or not getting a t-shirt or eating the pizza or eating before you come. Like, it's not what you do. It has a lot more to do with really your entirety of your life and how it bleeds into every aspect and every element of your life. Because I believe that a lot of times what we, and I say we as, as a Christian, as a, I guess I should use the term that I'm using in the series, as a follower of the way and as a church person, somebody who works for a church and talks about Jesus a lot uh, from stage and for a living, I believe that we have been so committed to convincing people uh, that Jesus is who he says he was, that he is God's son, that he died on the cross for your sins, uh, that we've lost our way a little bit when it comes to as a church. In fact, you guys know this to be true, is that in many areas of life, you can be convinced of something, but not committed, right? Think about it. You can be convinced that something is good for you or is right, but not necessarily committed to doing it. I started thinking of some examples. Like I'm convinced that eating vegetables and not crushing three pieces of pizza before I stand on stage and talk is the right thing to do. But I'm not very committed to it because I crushed three pieces of pizza right before I got up here and stood on stage to talk, right? Like I'm convinced that's what I should do, but I'm not so really committed to doing it. I'm, I'm convinced that for me, waking up early and exercising is good for my body. But some mornings I'm more committed to hitting snooze than I am to getting out of bed in the morning, right? I'm convinced that flossing is actually good for my dental hygiene 
but I'm only committed to flossing like the three days before I go to the dentist so that the hygienist doesn't fuss at me, right? Like you guys, y'all know what I'm talking about. Nobody does that every day. I don't care what they tell you, right? And so the, the thing is, I'm convinced these things are true and they're good for me, but I'm not committed to changing my life to doing those things that are good for me. My wife, Erin, is convinced that the family budget we have is good for our family. But when she's walking through Target and she sees the word sale, she's not committed to the family budgets in that moment, right? You guys understand what I'm talking about. So in life, we can be convinced, but not committed. And I think that bleeds over into our faith life. We can be convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. We can be convinced that he died on the cross for our sins. We can be convinced that we should come to church and and do the, the whole Christian thing, but we may actually not be committed to doing it. We may not be committed to living it outside of the four walls of this building or a building like it if you attend somewhere else at church sometimes. And so when I think about like Jesus and, and what he called us to do, Jesus actually never called us to believe in him. He actually, you know, he, he said, hey, I'm not trying to convince you of who I am. I'm actually trying to get you to commit to being a follower of me, to, to a whole new way of life. And we see that time and time again, when Jesus calls his disciples, his closest followers, uh, that's exactly what he does. He, he, he uses very specific language, language that I'm gonna unpack for you here in the next couple minutes. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can flip over to Matthew chapter four. I'm gonna jump around a few places in Matthew for the next few minutes, but Matthew chapter four is where I'm gonna start. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, no worries. Uh, it's gonna be on the screen so you can read it. Um, In Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 18, this is what it says. As Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake as they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him, right? Jesus came to to Peter and Andrew and then later to James and John and he didn't say, hey guys, if you'll bow your heads and and pray this prayer after me, uh, you can believe in me and and you can be a a Christian, right? Like that's not what he called them to do. He said, hey, come follow me. A A couple chapters later in Matthew chapter nine, Jesus calls a guy named Matthew who was the author of of this book of the Bible. And Matthew's a tax collector, so he works for the government. So people didn't like him. And in Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Matthew called himself third person, bolt move. Sitting, as, sitting at the tax collector's booth, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. You see time and time again, as we see the stories of Jesus and we read his interactions with people, he didn't call people to believe in him, right? Time and time again, what did he tell them? He said, come follow me. He wants people to be a follower of the whole way of life that he's calling us to, not just for a moment of belief. Some of you have experienced this. It's really easy at times of our life to make a decision in a moment, to to have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in a room, or maybe you, you grew up and you were at some kind of camp or retreat and you just knew that God was moving in your heart and you make a decision in a moment. And then what happens? Mondays, right? Like you go back into your real life and all of a sudden it's really hard to carry over that amazing experience that you had while you were away into the day-to-day life that you live. And that's why Jesus said, hey, I'm not calling you to a moment. I'm not calling you to make a a split second decision. I'm not asking you to make a, a decision to believe in me in an instant. I want the whole thing. 
come and follow me. When he told Peter and Andrew to come and follow him, they left their nets. They, they quit their job to go follow Jesus. When he called James and John, they left their nets. And it says, it goes out of the way, and the boat and their father and followed him. They abandoned their family. They quit the family business. And they said, dad, good luck. You're never retiring. And they went and followed Jesus. He goes to Matthew. He's a tax collector, which basically in our day and time is kind of like an IRS agent. If you haven't experienced IRS yet, oh boy, this next stage of life is gonna be fun. So he was basically somebody who was a Jewish person who collected taxes from the Jews for the Romans. So he was like enemy number one of the state because what they would do is they'd say, hey, the government says you owe, I don't remember the numbers. The government says you owe 20%, but you owe 40% and they would keep the extra 20. So these guys were rich and loaded. And Jesus comes to Matthew and says, hey, come follow me. And it says he left his tax collector booth to go follow Jesus which in that day and time would have jaws would have hit the floor because they'd have been like, dude, are you kidding me? You left a lucrative business where you were making a ton of money to go and follow this rabbi, this teacher. See, in this day and time, they had a very different education system than we do. Uh, I know some of you guys are at the age and stage of life where you're deciding to continue your education. Uh, you're in college, or maybe some of you are in grad school and you're trying to get your degrees before you start your profession. Uh, but in Jesus' day and time, education system was very different, right? There was no child left behind act that was going on. They left behind a lot of childs back in that day. And essentially, the, you only progressed through the education system if you were one of the chosen ones, if you were one of the smartest of the smart. So all the good little Jewish kids, they would go to, to like, think elementary school from like ages six to 10, and they would learn how to read and write, maybe some elementary math and stuff. But their main thing five days a week was they memorized the Torah. If you don't know what the Torah is, the Torah is the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures, or as we call it, the Old Testament. So if you've ever decided, hey, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, and you read through Genesis, and you're like, oh, cool, Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, it's like, this is all fun. You get to Exodus, you're like, Moses parting the Red Sea. And then you get to like Leviticus and you're like, rule after rule. And it's just like terrible. They, as like eight-year-olds would memorize those, which is phenomenal, right? But the thing is, some of them were really good at it and some of them weren't. So by the age of 10, they kind of knew who the good ones were and how the good one, who wasn't. So most of them at the age of 10 would then leave school and go learn a trade, usually to their father's business like a fisherman, for instance, uh, they would go learn their father's trade and begin to help out around the house. And they would do this. They would apprentice under their dad until they learned the family trade and the family business, right? But the really good, the really smart ones, they would go on and they would actually get the wonderful opportunity to continue in school and memorize the rest of the Old Testament from Joshua to Malachi, which is approximately uh, 30 four books of the Bible. So, uh, you know, they've already memorized five, but it's like, hey, great job. You're one of the smart ones. Here's 34 more. So that would take them another good four to five years. And they would also learn the system of, of question asking and, the, you know, their rabbi, their, their teachers would ask them a question and, and they would respond with a question. And the whole idea was to, to drill down to the heart of the issue. And so once again, by the age of 14, 15, they'd kind of separated who could keep going to school and who was like struggling to get through the Psalms, right? And so they, they would go back and do the same thing, work in their father's trade, but maybe with a little bit more education, maybe it would open a new door opportunity, but for the most part, they would go back to the family business. But the, the, the elite of the elite, the top of the top, think like the Ivy League kids, right? The, the, the smartest in the room, the smartest, the Princeton, Yale, Harvard, you know, Columbia, those really smart kids, uh, they would get the opportunity to continue on. And the way that would work is a teacher, a rabbi would come to them and he would give them this invitation, come and follow me. And they would apprentice under him. They would learn from him and they would literally 
live with him. They would literally follow him around and mimic him and, and intently listen to his conversations every day and watch how he interacted with people and listen to the questions that he said and, and mimic him. There's a, there's a story of, of some of this old like Jewish education system where there was an older rabbi who, you know, he would, he would recruit the smartest of the smart to come and apprentice under him and to learn under him. And he was old and feeble and he, he had something wrong with his leg and he kind of developed a limp. And he, he limped so badly and, and, you know, became so much part of his life that his apprentices, as they would follow him so closely and they would watch him intently and, and try to do everything he did and say everything he said, they would start limping. Nothing wrong with their leg. They're like 17 years old. They're perfectly healthy, but they'd start limping because they're just mimicking everything and following him to the T. In fact, there's a Jewish blessing that they would say to people that, that goes like this. They would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi that literally you would follow them so closely that the dust that they would kick up from their feet as they walked, well, you'd be just caked in it. And they're like, that's how closely you should be following them. So when Jesus came to these fishermen, most of whom were in their, they were young men, probably in their mid to late teens and said, come follow me. It blew their mind because they were like, whoa, I was told years ago, I wasn't one of the Ivy League kids. I wasn't one of the special ones. I didn't get into the gifted program at school, right? Like I, I was the one that like C's get degrees, right? They, they, this was that crew of people. And Jesus comes to them and he gives them an invitation that changes their life. And so they don't take it lightly. In fact, they learned something and they knew something, understood something that day that I really want you guys to latch onto. And, and it's this, is that following Jesus is to order your life around the way of Jesus. Jesus' invitation to them was to leave behind everything else they knew to come and follow him and to be a part of this new life, this new world that he was about to introduce them to. There was no, if you just believe this, or there was no, if you just have, you know, perfect attendance, there was no sitting in class in a lecture hall to learn from Jesus. Jesus was like, no, 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 I want you to come and do life with me and your life needs to change to look like the way that I'm going to show you. And they did it. There's a, uh, there's a, a, a pastor, a philosopher, a teacher, a scholar, a theologian guy. He's really smart. That's why I was trying to find the right word for him. Uh, he, he died a couple years ago. His name's Dallas Willard. And he was describing this very thing. And, and Dallas was trying to describe what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus. And, and he said this, it's kind of lengthy, but stay with me. He says, many people think of Jesus as our savior, as the one who will get us into heaven. That's great, not wrong. So the question often is, have I accepted Jesus as my savior? But we never ask the question, have I accepted Jesus as my teacher? And that's the real question. With the disciples, it began there. They began by accepting him as their teacher and then accepting him as their savior, which included, of course, their eternal destiny. It was a natural outflow of that. But they started with Jesus as their teacher because we all have to learn how to live. See, I think for a long time, the church has missed the mark a little bit with this because we've been so adamant on getting people to believe in Jesus that we forgot to tell them that Jesus wants you to not just believe in him, but he wants you to live like him. He wants you to follow the way of life that he outlined for his earliest followers and the, the way that he really wants us to live to this day. See, Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the fishermen in the boat. And he says, come, I'll show you how to fish for men. And he's given them this, like, this idea of what life could look like differently for them. You don't have to mend nets and, and fish for, for fish. And he's like, I'm gonna show you a, a new way, a different way to do life. And then he goes into the next chapter of Matthew and, and Matthew chapter five starts Jesus's kind of thesis of what all of his teaching looks like. 
We call it the Sermon on the Mount. If, you ever, if you're curious, if you're, if you're ever new to, to the, the faith or, or you wanna learn more about Jesus, if you read Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, it's like Jesus's album of greatest hits. Like it's just all the, in fact, if I were to read to you all the things that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's probably half of the sermons you've heard in your life about Jesus because they're so famous and they're so unique and they turned the world upside down. You see, in, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus started out by saying this. He said, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, right? He got up on a mountainside because it acted like a natural amphitheater so he could project his voice to the crowds. And he wanted to tell them, hey, this is the way. This is the way that I want you to live. And he does this incredible thing. If if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts a lot of it by, you've heard it said to live this way, but I tell you to live this way. In fact, Jesus goes through a bunch of them. He he starts off and telling them, hey, be salt and light. Your, your life, live your life in such a way that it benefits the world around you and it reflects to the world how good your heavenly father is. And then he, he kind of starts into the, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, do not even be angry with a brother or sister. That's like, hey, this is the way the world teaches you, but this is the way, right? He says, do, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, don't even look lustfully after a woman or you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Jesus is like, hey, but... This is the way. And, and time and time again, he, he says, hey, you've heard it said an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you that to turn the other, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one so they can hit you again. And everybody in the room would have been like, what? That is ridiculous. He says, hey, if someone asks you to go a mile with them, go two miles with them. Like it, that's where the expression go the extra mile comes from because Jesus calls you to more than people ask of you. He says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, well, I tell you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. He's like, that's, the way. That's my way. He says, when you give to the needy, don't make it a public show, but I tell you to do it in secrets. He says that um, when you pray, don't go to impress people with your many words, but instead pray in a private place to your father in heaven. Jesus tells them that rather than store up for yourselves treasures on earth and making a big uh, wealth uh, in this world, he says, instead, store up treasures for yourself in heaven, be generous, be good stewards of what you've been given and your heart will follow what your treasure is. Jesus says, rather than look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye, pull the plank out of your own eye first. And Jesus is like, this is the way. He tells all these things that they've heard their whole lives. A lot of these are are direct things they would have been taught from childhood. And he kind of turns them upside down or he drills in and gives them a better way to a better life. And then Jesus gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of the end of the message. And if you've grown up in church, you kind of know the part when the guy's getting ready to be done with his talk and the keyboard player comes out and starts like padding, you know, and Jesus is kind of getting to like his big ending. That's like the emotional crescendo of the night, right? And he gets into to Matthew chapter seven in verse 12. And this is a very famous passage. You guys have all heard it before. Jesus says, this is kind of like what his big bottom line is like, hey, if you missed everything else, I told you, he says this, he says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets, which is a nickname for their scriptures. He says, if you miss everything else, treat others how you would wanna be treated. That's the point. And everybody's like, oh man, that's so good, Jesus. And then Jesus is like, and one more thing. And he almost loses them because he kind of goes off the rails. In verse 13, the very next verse, the next thing he says, he says, enter through the narrow gates, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many, many enter through it. What? Like, it's almost like he got to the end and it was the perfect moment. He put a bow on it. And then he just like, destruction. What? I thought we were gonna treat others how we wanna be treated. How did we get to destruction? And then in verse 14, he says, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. You see, Jesus draws this illustration of a wide road that leads to destruction and a narrow road that leads to life. 
Another word in the original Greek that this was written in, the, the word road there, another word for it is actually way. So he says, wide is the way and many who walk through it, the path that leads to destruction. And honestly, it's the way the world is telling you guys to live. You guys are at an intersection of life as young adults. You're figuring out who you are, what you wanna do with your life, who you wanna be, what you wanna make your life centered around. And the world is telling you one thing, and it's the way that everybody is going. It's the, hey, get a great job, settle down, get married, you know, have two and a half kids, live in a house with a white picket fence. You know, you should have got a mortgage three years ago because the interest rates are quadruple. Like it's this whole idea of you got to save for retirement and you, you, you want to retire by the time you're 50. So get a great job that pays a lot. And, and they're telling you this, this is the way to go in life. And those things aren't inherently bad things, but those things aren't inherently what you were designed for and they're not going to fulfill you. But Jesus says, hey, there's another way. There's another road. It's a narrow road. The gate is small. You might miss it. And Jesus says, this is the way that leads to life. This is the way that turns the other cheek. This is the way that stores up treasures in heaven. This is the way that treats others how you would want to be treated. This is the way that leads to a life of fulfillment because it's a life that leads to your heavenly father. And when Jesus invites us to go down that way, he literally makes it very clear that like one is really wide and it, it looks really easy from the beginning and one is really narrow and it looks really difficult. He says, but there's one that ultimately pays off. And it's gonna be the same thing as, you know, the, the Mandalorians, they say, hey, this is the way, regardless if it's, you know, countercultural, counterintuitive or counterproductive. Hey, the world's gonna tell you you're crazy. The world's gonna tell you you're crazy if you, if you finish with your bachelor's degree and you decide to do something that helps others instead of something that makes a ton of money. The world's gonna tell you you're crazy if you settle down and get married because they're like, why would you get married at 22? Go out, play the field, enjoy this time of life, live it up, right? The world's gonna tell you you're crazy if you go down the way that Jesus invites you to. But Jesus gives you a promise that the end of that road is a lot better than the end of the road that leads to brokenness and emptiness and humility, being humiliated. The, the, the road that the world tells you to live, there's nothing at the end of it. Jesus says there's destruction because you get to the end and there's nothing. But the end of the road that Jesus invites you to is a road that leads to your heavenly father. It leads to eternal life. It leads to a new way of living your whole life. Now to do that, um, I was thinking about, all right, so, so what do we do? What is, how does this look like? In a room like this, there's, there's really kind of three different types of people in the room. And uh, I always hate it when people say there's, different, there's a certain amount of people. There's a there's hundred different types of people in the room. But really most of us fall in one of three camps. That's probably a better way to say this. And it's this. You're curious, you're convinced, you're committed. If you're curious, maybe you're not really sure where you stand with Jesus. You're at the crossroads of the wide road and the narrow road, the wide way and the narrow way. And you're like, I'm not really sure which way to go, but I wanna hear more about this because I got my whole life ahead of me and I don't wanna mess it up right now. I'm 19, 20, 21 years old. I got my whole life ahead of me. I just wanna figure this out. Maybe Jesus and, the, and his teachings and the faith stuff is new to you. If, if that's you, that's great. You're in the right place. I'd encourage you not to miss the next couple of weeks because we're gonna impact more of what this looks like. There's other of you in the room who are convinced, like maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, like, right, you've believed all the right things. You grew up in church or, or you had a moment, you had an experience where you put your faith in Jesus. But ever since then, you're not really sure where you're headed. You feel like you kind of almost have wandered down both paths at different times, right? You, you maybe have experimented down both ways and you're not really sure. You're convinced, but you're not really sure that you've committed your whole life to the way that Jesus offers. And there's a third group, maybe you're committed, 
but you're nervous. You're just like, hey, I, I'm, on, I'm trying to walk the narrow road, but it's difficult or it's lonely or I'm scared. And guys, that's why tonight, it is the perfect night for you to be here because regardless of whether you are, where you are on this scale, and I'm not gonna ask you to share, this is not gonna be like this really weird time where I'm like, everyone raise your hand if you're this. Now I'm not gonna do that to you, okay? But what I want you to do is think about where you would put yourself, where you would find yourself on, that, on, that, on this list here. And none of them are right or wrong. It's just kind of is what it is. But wherever you are, this is the perfect place for you. Because if you want to experience the life that Jesus has for you, if you wanna walk through the way that he has outlined for you, I believe this is the best place. Uh, earlier in the night when Jordan was kind of kicking things off for us tonight, she said, we're launching small groups. And I know a lot of you guys are really excited to get into your new small groups. I've learned in my life that if you wanna follow the way that Jesus has for you, it's a lot easier if you go it with others. It's a lot easier if you're not walking it by yourself. The times in my life where I thought I was committed or I was convinced and trying to be committed, or maybe I was just curious and didn't know what I was doing, the times I got myself in the most trouble was when I was trying to do it all by myself. So the reason that we emphasize groups so much, the reason we wanna invite you guys to be a part of a group and encourage you to do that is because it is a lot better to walk the narrow road if you're shoulder to shoulder with somebody who's going the same way you're going. And so we encourage you guys and invite you guys to do that so that you can not only experience Jesus, but also you can encourage someone else to do the same. If you didn't sign up for groups or that isn't something you're interested in right now, that's okay. I hope you keep coming and, and keep trying to figure this out. And if you decide to do that one day, we'll, we'll figure that out together. But I think that's why that is so important for us. But for all of us in the room, I hope you take away two things tonight. Number one is I want you to stay curious. I want you to keep asking questions, keep trying to figure out the life that Jesus calls you to and what that looks like for you. Because it's different for every single one of you. What the narrow path looks like is different for all of you. And secondly, I want you to get dusty. Not like actually, please bathe yourselves. But what I would like you to do is to follow so closely behind Jesus that the dust of his sandals are covering you, that when people see you, they have a hard time delineating what's you and what's Jesus doing in and through you. So regardless of whether you're curious or you're convinced or you're committed, you can still follow Jesus in such a way that his life and his teachings begin to influence you and the decisions that you make. And so what we want you to do here at TLR, and the reason why I'm so glad you guys are here tonight, is as we kind of launch into this new semester, we're going to give you guys lots of opportunities to hear about Jesus, to hear about what he wants for you in life, to, to show you what the way of following Jesus in your whole life looks like. Your challenge is to follow him closely enough that people begin to see Jesus in you, and you begin to look a little dusty, proverbially speaking. Uh, tonight, I want to close with this. <clears throat> uh, Believing in Jesus' name is how you become a Christian. Following in Jesus' way is how you be a Christian. That's really terrible grammar, but it's a really true statement of how this all works. In a room this size, there's probably many of you that have uh, all over the place in what your faith journey and what your faith histories looked like. But I would like to encourage all of you to think about where you are with Jesus and what your life has been. If you've just believed in Jesus and, and you became a Christian, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you, but don't stop there. That's just the beginning. What I want is for all of you guys to begin to follow in the way of Jesus and to begin to live and orient and order your whole life around Jesus. That is the way that he calls you to. And tonight he's asking all of you, just like he asked Peter and Andrew, just like he asked James and John, just like he asked Matthew to come and follow him. So I would encourage you guys to do that and join us next week for week two.